Well, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, this is a little bit uh, different uh, service. Uh, first of all, because we have had the pleasure of having our college-age ministry lead us in worship, uh, for which I am very thankful. Didn't they do a great job this morning? Let's give them a, yeah, give them a hand. Uh, if you're visiting with us, I want to um, embarrass a friend of mine who is visiting, Lou Orlando, right over here. Come on, Lou, stand up with you. Will. He's the only one I can embarrass. But if you would like to give him uh, some, he some help, if you're visiting, would you stand up as well, just real fast? Any visitors for the very first time? Yeah, right here. Well, you can sit back down. Thank you so much. Well, I, I embarrassed a couple of other people, not just Lou, but thank you so much so that we can be aware that you're here with us this morning. Um, <clears throat> let me ask you, if you would, to turn to John chapter 4. We have maybe a, a closing 30-minute block that I would like to share uh, the word with you that the Lord has established for this morning. And uh, if you would like a little outline, Michael used one of these outlines last week, and I thought, well, I'm not going to be shown up by my son. So <laughs> uh, ser seriously, if you'd like one and you don't have one, just raise your hand. Matt, there's some next to you on your right uh, there. Anybody want one? Matt, would you be so kind as to pass a couple of those out? Not that it's the last, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but it uh, may keep me on track. Well, <clears throat> let me just have you turn, if you have your Bible, to John chapter 4, and I want to pick up back at the beginning of that chapter because it's a passage that, in fact, is an important one for many different reasons. I'm going to share three reasons this morning although there are far more reasons that this text is important. John chapter 4, um, I want to share this morning about living water. And as you'll see in the little outline, uh, it's about drinking living water. And let me begin reading, if I may, at, um, and there are some in the balcony, yes, it may have a big, passing them out now. Let me begin reading actually at verse 1, and I'll really pick up at verse 3, then to about uh, verse 10. In John chapter 4, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, Jesus and his disciples left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now verse 3 says, um, he left and he departed, but verse 4, he needed to go through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria, uh, which is called Sychar or Shechem, if you will, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat there, or thus, at the well. It was about the sixth hour. That means noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, would you give me a drink? 
For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And sort of parenthetically, the text says, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Then the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And to that the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Holy Spirit, would you inspire revelation from your word without which we simply drink from physical water. God, we're asking this morning, I'm asking this morning, that you would cause each one of us to drink afresh from that fountain of living water that you so freely give to those who believe. In Jesus' name, the balcony said, Amen. Amen. Maybe we started a new tradition, I don't know. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> well, before I actually get into the text, today marks... A new adventure for me and for my wife. For today, we're bringing home uh, Cynthia's 100-year-old mother to live with us. Now, why am I crying? I don't know. <laughs> but I am. Because if I've learned anything in the years that I've walked with Jesus, if I've relearned anything and relearned it again, is that Jesus, more importantly than anything else, is not interested in building a big institution. Hello? God is not interested in fabricating great organizations. Men are. God is interested in having an intimate relationship with each one of us. That's what this text is about. So let's go back and look at the text, and I'll just walk you through a couple of principles here. And you have your little outline there, and I've expanded it somewhat in my notes. I may or may not use them. <clears throat> but let's look at John uh, 3 through 7. 
uh, Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, as he went from Galilee, if you can picture a map as if you're looking at it of Israel, you probably have a notion of what that little country looks like. Down in the south by the Dead Sea is what is called uh, Judea, and it goes to about the northern point of the Dead Sea. That's Judea. And if you follow the Jordan River north, it connects to the Sea of Galilee. And guess where that is? It's in Galilee. <laughs> so Jesus was traveling from Judea about 75 miles, depending on where he started and where he was actually going to end. He was traveling about 75 miles. That's a long distance on foot. And the area between Judea in the south and Galilee in the north is this region called Samaria. So Jesus was traveling about 75 miles. He needed to go through this place called Samaria, and Jacob's well was there. And the text actually in verse 6 simply says that uh, Jesus was wearied from his journey. You see, he sat by the well. It was, new. it was noon. And this, this little word, wearied, is kind of an interesting one. I only mention it so that it expands our understanding a little bit. This kapiazo, uh, <laughs> it means to grow tired. It means to toil. The word Jesus was tired there, or wearied, means he was in great labor. And we might say in the vernacular, he was worn slam out. This guy was walking 75 miles. Now, we don't know that he may have had a donkey. I don't know, but I suspect he and his disciples were actually on foot. And if you've ever been to Israel, as I have, uh, it is a dry and arid land, particularly in the south and through Samaria. It begins to green up a bit as you get into Galilee by the sea. The point is that Jesus was actually in great need, and the woman of Samaria then came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, uh, give me a drink. Now, in saying give me a drink, uh, the principle that I want you to see here, first of all, is that um, although Jesus was wearied, uh, God was completely comfortable. And here's where you can fill in your outline if you're interested. Uh, although Jesus was wearied and worn out, God was completely comfortable, and here's the phrase, indwelling and using Jesus. Indwelling and using Jesus. Now, why would I reference that? Jesus, you remember, was fully human, and at the same time, the fullness of God dwelled in him, we're told in Colossians 2, in bodily form. You see, Jesus carried the very presence of God uh, just uh, being himself, um, Colossians 2.9 says, for in him, that is in Jesus, dwelled all of the fullness of the Godhead. Now, you go, yeah, go, way to go, Jesus. Well, it gets better. Uh, first, 2 Corinthians 5.12 says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. You see, Jesus 
was simply a human being in whom God the Father and God the Holy Spirit chose to step into his human flesh. We call that the incarnation. That's what happened at Christmas. God became flesh in a man named Jesus, and that man, Jesus, was worn out and tired. Many of you are also worn out and tired. Now the question is, did Jesus, who was worn out and tired, somehow negate the possibility that God would work fully through him and in him, in him and through him? Was God still living his life in Jesus, though his flesh was tired? Hear, hear. You see, and the point is that for those of us who know Jesus, we have the very same presence of God by his spirit that dwells in us. And though we might be tired, anybody tired this morning? Anybody wearied from the journey this morning? Anybody sitting on the well, so to speak, just kind of catching your breath and notice that now there's a woman who comes up and you have to enter into her experience because God was in Christ and his fundamental and primary ministry was to reconcile the world to himself through this tired man called Yushia. And some of us have said, no, I'm too tired for God to use me anymore. Guess what? You get to repent. <laughs> we get to turn back to Jesus and look full in his glorious face. Because when we do that, the things of the earth grow strangely dim and they no longer captivate our hearts. That's what God wants to do not only in Jesus, that's what he wants to do in me. That's what he wants to do in you. You're not too old. And they said, they're not too young. You see, God wants to use each one of us in the ministry of reconciliation. You see, you may feel weak and wearied in your journey. Your body is still the only platform, hear this, the only platform in which and through which God desires to live and move by his spirit. What? God's not building a church that's filled with his spirit, if by that we mean the organization. The organization always gives life to and promotes the organic body of Jesus. God is after building a church that is not so much institutional, but it is relational with him, whose hearts love him with all that we are. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and then you get to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God wants to do at Myrtle Grove, and if the structure gets in the way, God is obliged to dismantle the structure in order that the organic life of the Spirit comes forth. Search committee, that's your number one task. Elders, that's our number one task. Shift your eyes back to Jesus, and God will do everything that is necessary in your life as an individual, in your family's life, in the life of this extended family, and we will take our place among those who are called by the Spirit into that very same ministry. 
You see, although Jesus was wearied, God was completely comfortable indwelling and using Jesus. And even though you may be wearied, it's in your weakness that's where you'll find your strength. I'm referencing 2 Corinthians 12.10, where Paul said, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. Why is that? It's because when you feel strong in yourself, you will depend upon yourself. If you feel weak in yourself, you will depend upon the only one who can do it, and that's God himself. See, that's why this church must be desperate for God. Don't worry about your weakness. Just let God be himself through you. God is using, God using you is not dependent upon your feeling strong or adequate or capable or young or old. God using you is only about submitting yourself to him first and allowing him, write this down somewhere, allowing him to be himself through you. Allowing him to be himself through you. In other words, all you have to do is show up. If your eyes are on him, Jesus was just sitting there worn out and tired and thirsty, and he just showed up. Now watch secondly what he did. He asked this forsaken, despised, ridiculed, abused, immoral woman. She was just lost, by the way. For a drink. Now it's important. We're in number two here, John 8 and 9. Let me read them real fast. The disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now let me give you a little background on that. Uh, the woman, why would you ask me for a drink? The, literally, the Jews had no dealings with them. That's what the text says. Well, they were mocked, Samaritans, that is, those people in that central region between Gal Judea and Galilee. They were mocked. They were ridiculed. They were abused. In the eyes of the Jews, they were chattel. Not only was she a woman which was looked down upon in their culture, but these were half-breeds. You see, reading between the lines of her life, there was fear and shame and failure, and she felt like an outcast, and why was that? Well, um, in the mid-700s mid B.C., something happened in Israel. You may remember that the ten northern tribes... That included everything north of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, and all of Israel was carried off into captivity in about 700 and, I don't know, mid-720s B.C. Now, when they were carried off, it's interesting uh, that uh, they were carried into captivity by the Assyrians. Samaria the part where Jesus was now walking through, Samaria was repopulated with pagan peoples, foreigners. Uh, if you would, um, and if you'd like to look at one of the most succinct references, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 23 and 24, gives you a very succinct 
statement. If you don't have your Bible or don't want to turn there, that's fine. 2 Kings 17, the end of verse 23 and 24. So Israel, the northern tribes, were carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. Verse 24, then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and from other foreign nations and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt there in all of the cities. You see, what happened is that Samaria was repopulated by foreigners. And so now this region, these 10 tribes having been repopulated by uh, foreign peoples, if you will, uh, began to be detested. They were hated. They were despised by Israel, by the Jew. That's what we're reading about. And this woman from Samaria who was now by uh, generations, hundreds of years, they had inbred the Jews that were still remaining in that area uh, were repopulated and then had families with these foreigners. And those people in Samaria, the half-breeds, were looked down on by the Jews, the pure people. I wonder if Christians today don't in some way pick up that same spirit that we're somehow better than everybody else. Guess what? We are God's people, but the ministry of Jesus is still at play. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the principle I want you to see in number two. We're under here, John 4, 8 through 9. The principle is this. Um, only the love of God in the heart overcomes our basic or human prejudices and hatred. Let me read it again in case you're writing it down. Only the love of God in the heart, in the human heart, overcomes our human prejudices and hatreds. It is intrinsic in the human heart to hate people that are different. You say, oh, no, that's not true. Oh, yes, it is true. And the only thing, beloved, that can overcome it, and you see it in Jesus, where instead of shunning her and looking down upon this abused woman, uh, he simply looked to her and he entered into her pain and he said, we don't know the exact words that he said. The text said, uh, give me a drink. He probably, knowing Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, he probably looked at her and said, ma'am, madam, uh, could you give me a drink? I am worn slam out and am dying of thirst. What would God have us do? What small acts of kindness would God have us do to those people around us that in our perfectly honest prejudices or places where we would even be honest enough to say, I, you know, I hate that kind of person. What would God have us do to offer ourselves uh, and ask them for help? 
You see, I think what is happening here is when Jesus asks for a drink, we see God loving and respecting and including and inviting, inviting uh, this woman into the life that Jesus carried. Now remember, Jesus was carrying the presence of God. Now remember the application. What do you carry? If God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, the text goes on and says, and he has given to us the same ministry of reconciliation. How is that possible? Because you carry the very same thing, and it has to do with living water, and that's what he offered her. You see, the application here, let's just ask a rhetorical question. Score yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 and rate your willingness, your willingness to love, to respect, to include, and invite people who are culturally different than yourself. On a scale of one to 10, rate your honest willingness to love, to respect, and include and invite people who are culturally different from yourself. And finally, how would that manifest itself today? You see, you can live in fear, in accusation, and prejudice and slander and all those things that we sometimes do because we're human or you can actually live in love but you can't live in both at the same time. Now here's the deal. Uh, Jesus invites each one of us into a life transforming experience. The old man gets to die. That's what happened at the cross. When Jesus died, the scripture says you died also. What died? Your old prejudices, your old hatreds, those old self-centered ways in order that when Jesus was raised from the dead, you were raised with him and now the spirit of God dwells in you so that you can do, no more importantly, what that Jesus can do in you and through you what Jesus would do when he walked the earth. Can somebody say Amen. That was a little weak. Can somebody say? Yeah. How about? Hallelujah. That's what God has called us to as a church. Nothing less. Not the perpetuation of an organization. Let the organization only support the organic life of God. And God has given that ministry to you. And he calls pastors and apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists to equip the? That was weak. To equip the? For their work of? Oh, my. You see, in other words, it's on you. It's on you. The question is, who are those people that you're going to ask, can you give me a drink that you would normally in your own flesh, sort of snub, that kind of person. You know what I mean? We all got those kind of people. Let's just be honest and call it what it is and turn back to Jesus. So the only, only the love of God in the human heart overcomes our human basic prejudices and hatreds. Let's finish this out. Number three, John 4, 10 through 14 Jesus 
answered her. Now remember, this woman was caught off guard because she was used to being snubbed. She was used to being ignored. She was used to being abused. She was used to being taken advantage of. And this woman comes to the well in the middle of the day because added to that she had about five husbands, if you read the rest of the text. So this stigma was on her. She had a big A on her chest, if you will. And she came in the middle of the day because it was hot out and the men wouldn't be around to, to reject her and abuse her and do all the stuff that they were doing to women who were considered half-breeds in those days. And she was caught off guard by Jesus' simple expression of humility and kindness when he said, can you give me a drink? And Jesus said to her, now watch this. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sliding down to verse 14, because whoever drinks of this water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Beloved, I'm a short timer here. But I can tell you something, religion bores the snot out of me. And let me explain that because I think it bores Jesus as well. But what really encourages Jesus, the Messiah, is that he was looking at this woman who was utterly detestable as a half-breed, and he said, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that's asking you the gift of God for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Here's the deal. You see, water in Scripture is always a metaphor of the person of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a couple of, of uh, ideas of that. You remember in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, uh, when they were all assembled, the Holy Spirit came in great power as a wind, to be sure, but the metaphor still holds. Uh, the, when the Holy Spirit came, he poured himself out. Joel said, quoting Joel chapter 2, I think it is, in Acts chapter 2, uh, the days are coming when I will pour out water, pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams or see visions. And on my handmaidens and men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. These are those days. And anyone who simply drinks of the physical water and thinking they have it or, or, or enters into the organization and thinks they're in, there will come a time when we recognize without Jesus, he doesn't know you. Romans chapter 8. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Let me reference also, if I may, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the love of God. That was verse 2, wasn't it? Or the principle number 2. The love of God is poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit whom he has given unto us. How does the heart get transformed? 
you look at this Samaritan woman. She was as lost as a coon. You know, she, she whatever, raccoons, however. She was lost. She had no clue. Isn't that the way you and I were before Jesus got a hold of us? Before Jesus came into our life, we'd had no knowledge of who he was. You see, but Jesus gave of himself by the Spirit. One last scripture, I guess. Uh, John chapter 7, we'll get to that in a few weeks, verse 37 and 38. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, here's what you'll get. Out of your innermost being shall begin to flow rivers of living water. This he spoke about the Holy Spirit who would be given to those who believed. He had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet crucified, buried, raised from the dead, and ascended back to heaven and poured out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Do you see what happened? God is raising up a supernatural church in this day. You see, here's the point that I want you to see, number three on your outline, I guess is down at C. Genuine life transformation only comes by knowing the gift of God and receiving from him living water. As our band comes, and I'm so grateful for you guys, let me say that. You did an amazing job today. God's begun a new thing in this house. And I get to just sit back and watch it happen at this point. <laughs> life, the life-giving church results only from the life-giving spirit. The life-giving spirit dwelling in us individually. The life-giving church results from us together partaking of the living water, learning to serve each other. God expects us to realize, at the very end of your little outline there, God expects us to realize that he is indwelling us and using us as we go about our daily lives. You say, I don't feel like Jesus. Do you think these guys felt like Jesus was really going to do something this morning? Come on, can anybody be interested? Anybody come here weak this morning? Yeah, you know, that's who, that's who we are. But it isn't about us. It's about him who is in us. We have this treasure in jars of clay, in earthen vessels. Well, I don't feel like. Get over feeling like. Your feelings will betray you every time. It's the spirit of God in us. It's God dwelling in us. And God expects us to realize that he is indwelling us and using us as we go about our daily lives. It is his presence in us that transforms our fleshly, or if you will, human tendencies like prejudices and hatreds and enables us to love those around us. See, this life transformation comes only by knowing Jesus and the living, uh, and living by the life that comes through the living water that he gives to you. Here's the question, is anybody thirsty? Let him come. Not to me, not to Pastor Jim, not to anybody else. If anybody is thirsty, let him come to me, Jesus said. And he, 
meaning her, meaning anybody, who comes to me and believes in me as the scripture has said. That's all you got to do. Believe in him as the scripture has said. The response is gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. The Holy Spirit will begin to be released in your life. Do I need to come and lay on the floor and snivel and cry? Maybe, I don't know. But if that's what it takes, I would say get on with it and do it. If it's to be, go home and be quiet and shut yourself in your bedroom when nobody else is around and say, God, I'm as dry as they come. I am so wearied from the journey. And Jesus would simply say, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the balcony said, what God wants for each one of us. Do you know Jesus? Say, well, I met him 35 years ago, as I did. But do you know him today? Are you filled with this living, gurgling water that transforms life? Well, I used to be. You see, that's not sufficient. Used to be. It's, are you being filled? <laughs> Come to the water. Let me give you one final text. It's in Jeremiah. Just keep going, gentlemen. I know this might feel awkward to you, but I just want to share one final text. <laughs> Get used to being awkward. You're all in leadership. God's going to do great things with each of you. About 200 years after the northern kingdoms were carried off into Assyria, Judah was carried off, the two tribes of Judah. And they were carried off into Babylon. If you read Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, it says this about why they were carried off. My people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. This is real stuff. Number two, they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns at that, that can hold no water. God is not anti-establishment. God is not anti-organization. God is not anti-institution. But God is really about his people coming to him and drinking and flowing in the living water. If we had time and we didn't and don't, you'd see where this actually goes. This woman becomes, uh, begins to recognize that Jesus is giving her living water and she drinks and she goes and tells everybody that she knows and the whole city comes to Jesus. There's a movement that happens and then Jesus said this, God is spirit and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth for God is searching for people who would worship him in that way. 
That means you cannot worship God in an effective and adequate way by doing it out of your own mind. It's as the Spirit is partaken of, as you drink of His Spirit, as you believe His Word, as it is declared and begin to drink, out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water, and God begins to do something in your spirit, having been dead, it's now alive, and you begin to worship Him. And people will look at you and say, what is wrong with them? And they said, and these over here said, but when you start to dance and walk and move in the power of His Spirit, you'll find people are starting to come and they'll be connected. And that's when you ask them, can you give me a drink? Don't try to give somebody something that they're not asking for. Ask them for their help. Enlist them into the life that you carry and watch God do what only God can do. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed here in just a minute. We're going to do a song before we do. Father, thank you for your word. More importantly, thank you, God, for the life that is in your word and that life that is resident within each one of us. God, I pray today that if there are any here who don't know you in an intimate way, that you would draw them by your spirit into that primary connection. God, you do it any way you want to do it. Man cannot do this. Only your spirit can do it. If anyone's here who's not being filled with your Holy Spirit, simply reach out to him. Say, God, you said, if I believe in you, as the Scripture has said, water would begin to flow. Release today, God, in this house rivers of living water. Lead us in worship as we end.